Hello, Next Geners. Welcome to our Monday review show. Well, it's not Monday because Hayden and his beautiful wife, Ebony, are preparing for their third child tomorrow. So we've fast-tracked this to uh, Sunday night. And we're joined by Leviathan owner, Bray Sikulski, who's chasing down Lloyd Williams for the most wins in the majors. Uh, part Hardly, owner, mate. Part owner, part owner of Incentivize, who won yesterday's Maccabi Diva Stakes. In your colours, does that make that more special, Bray? I have to say it does, Damien. Um, you know, I think it would be disingenuous to sit there and say your colours don't matter. You know, your colours are your brand. And, you know, a lot of people in the industry, they're not looking at, you know, who's in the ownership of each individual horse. They recognise ownership by colours and silks. And um, it does make it more special, especially when a horse of this ilk races in my colours. You know, I've had a lot of good horses um, racing, you know, in, in these elite races um, previously, but they're in, they tend to have been in, in other colours, other um, owners' colours. Um, so it's absolute privilege um, for him to be to be carrying those silks. And I'm not sure if any of you picked it up, but I actually got a pair of um, silks uh, with um, incentivised in signature um, on them. So they are quite special in themselves. Uh, it was quite a win. Hayden's the man who breaks down our form, so he can tell us just how good it was. We probably both of us thought 1,600 was going to be a bit short when he's got the cups in mind. Um, he obviously had that campaign in Queensland where the further out he got, the better he looked. Did he sort of surprise you yesterday that he was sharp enough to knock off Mwanga, Tafane and your Cox Plate winner, Sir Dragon, eh? Well, it's easy for me to sort of be arrogant about it now, but in the lead up, you know, I did a number of interviews where I was normally not that bullish in the public domain about a horse, but I legitimately thought he would step out and win. Um, you know, from on what he did in that in that trial, um, you know, a couple of weeks earlier and everything that he'd shown moods at home told us that the horse was going to be sharp enough. We knew that he had, you know, had the residual fitness and that was going to carry him a long way. And just the way that race mapped, you know, the lead was there for the taking. Um, I wanted to ensure that we're running the race on our terms. So, you know, whilst either horse, anything but has to lead, I just thought it was the right opportunity to lead on him. Um, and, uh, you know, Brett judged it brilliantly because he wanted to ensure the tempo was true enough to give the horse a hit out. And also, you know, that his endurance would um, hold him in good stead, um, you know, in the later part of the race, uh, but not go too hard as to, you know, potentially, you know, cook the horse first up, knowing, you know, the um, far more important targets we had later in his program. I think it'd be re remiss of us not to talk a little bit about your background first, so the next-gen followers can get an idea of how you uh, fell into racing, but you're, you're a businessman in Melbourne. Um, I understand the business is uh, around uh, commercial real estate lending um, and finance. Yeah. Um, but tell us how you went from um, obviously business and entrepreneur into um, into buying ra racehorses and elite ones. Yeah, so um, I've been running Max Cap Group, which is a real estate finance business for 15 years. Um, and that's very, very much been obviously the focus of my career. And, you know, through the, um, I guess, the the most important working years of, of, of your life I've devoted to that, to that business. And I've been incredibly fortunate um, to have achieved the success I have um, with Max Cap Group. Um, and, you know, we actually announced a major sale of 50% of the business incidentally uh, this week. Um, so it's been a monumental week, obviously culminating in, in what transpired at Flemington yesterday. Um, and what that business has enabled me is obviously to pursue my dreams in racehorse breeding and ownership um, with, you know, with alacrity and with real purpose, knowing, you know, that I had the financial capacity to do so. Um, you know, I've wanted to, you know, be involved in horse ownership um, in a significant way since I was a teenager um, when, you know, the punt is what first attracted me to racing like so many others. And you know what? I'm still one. I'm still a punter to this day, and I love it every bit as much as I did then. Um, but you know, I immediately had this magnetism to the sport, and the concept of being able to be involved in ownership really um, resonated with me from a young age. Um, and I started doing a lot of sort of research on it, and just you know, being very closely 
across it without necessarily having the, the capacity to be involved in a meaningful way. But, you know, took shares, small shares in horses and, yeah, had a great time. Um, and then, you know, when I was able to, you know, generate some wealth through through the business, you know, I made sure that I, you know, ploughed it in inverted commas, but in a prudent and methodical way um, into the into racehorse ownership and, and now sort of more so in, in breeding, which is where, you know, I think a big focus of my um, attention in the industry is going to be moving forward. Aiden? It was a fascinating race yesterday. Um, it was nothing short of fascinating. Mm. What, what, what was going through your um, mind with Incentivise when um, Sir Dragonet was coming at him? Which, where, where was um, the excitement? Was it for the sweeper or was it for the uh, new kid on the block? Well, I did have a very, very significant wager on Incentivise. Not that, <laughs> that necessarily is going to dictate um, where my um, attention is focused, but because, you know, Sir Dragonet is obviously one of Cox's plate. He's a fantastic horse in his own right. Um, but, you know, we sort of know what he's going to bring to the table. Whereas, you know, there was this such, it was such a um, uh, huge question about incentivise. And I put my, I guess, my judgment on the line, you know, in buying into this horse. And, um, you know, I, I think I felt the pressure of that as well, because, you know, this is really where we're exposing him to proper scrutiny. And there would have been a lot of naysayers, you know, and telling me they told told me so if the horse didn't run up to expectations. So uh, he was the cynosure of my eyes. Like I was just focused on him. And to be honest, I only, once he passed the line, I only just then looked across to see Sir Dragon, they flashing home for third, you know, with that big red light on and thinking, Jesus, doesn't get better than that. Um, and in the run, incidentally, Hayden, like you got to know the horse and, you know, had you not known incentivize and not, had you not understood sort of the, the fact that horse, you know, typically comes off the bridle very early in races and in, in, his, in a horse that, you know, the more the pressure applied, the better, because, you know, at the 400 meter mark, given he, you know, led up in, you know, a mile race of Flemington into a headwind and, you know, Preble had to give him a cut with the whip. Like, it, you know, if it wasn't for him, you'd just be saying, well, this horse is going to fold up and, and not be in the finish, but like I knew that the capacity that horse has to find under pressure. So whilst I didn't think he was traveling that well, I was still confident that, you know, he would fight back and um, that, you know, he, like I said, his incredible endurance would certainly hold him in good stead in the latter part of, part of the race. It was a, um, it was a fascinating race and it was a fascinating tactical battle. Um, I think that's yeah. two from two now in Group One races where Brett Preble's been able to out Willow Willow. Um, <laughs> yeah. We spoke to um, Sam Lyons last week in regards to Behemoth, and there was no doubt whatsoever that um, Craig had looked up and he tried to fall back onto Behemoth's lap. And the tactical battle between the two, and Brett knew what Craig was doing, decided to pull to the outside and utilise his weapon. The interesting part about the run with Incentivise is that Craig knew with Brett that he had the horse with the sharper 400 metre kick. Um, That's right. And Brett was quite happy to look around. And when he seen Craig to his outside, he knew that um, I can use you as a bunny here. I can use you as my weapon and generate a field slowdown rather than just a slowdown from the front position, which by doing that to those in behind him, took away the big danger in the race because the big danger in the race was there was several horses on incentivizers back that had the bigger 400 meter kick. Yeah. Uh, and by generating that field slowed down, he left many of them flat footed. So Brett then had the opportunity just to shift the energy between the six and the four, um, which took him up to a benchmark level and then could just gradually increase the speed over the last 600 rather than making an explosive race. Um, yeah. Where if, if that just came down to a pure explosion over the last 400 metres, he was going to be extremely disadvantaged. Yeah, um, that's right. We, we had that in mind because that's exactly what I was saying around that balance to ensure that there was a strong enough tempo um, that he wouldn't be, you know, out sprinted. And interestingly enough, like it, he did go really early um, on to fade Craig Williams, which surprised me and it surprised Brett because, um, you know, we thought that maybe he would try and cuddle her and, you know, leave it late. Um, he actually, 
because, you know, we're always going to be the stronger horse at the end of the mile. Um, you know, because she ran, I thought she ran outstanding given the circumstances and how early she had to loon up to um, to our bloke. And um, Preble, actually, who I spoke to earlier today, um, was incredibly effusive about her and said she sort of hit, hit back her to win any mile race in the country this spring on the back of that performance. Interesting. Very mm. interesting. Your, your bloke, in terms of um, his mile profile, to me, he's gone a PB. Um, yeah. He, yeah. There, was some que- there was some question marks surrounding him at the mile, but he actually had a number from his maiden performance at the Sunshine Coast yeah. um, that said he was a real miler. Um, and he'd indicated over longer distances because that's where he'd been set for that he had a degree of straight line speed, but we were coming up against probably four or five horses here who had elite level straight line speed at 14, 1600. And that would yeah. accumulate into a weight for age, 14 or 1600 meter race. So, you know, we're talking about a Brett Preble here who we haven't seen for a long time. This is like um, Brett going to Hong Kong Um you know, he's become technically one of the sharpest riders in the country at the moment. There's a real fire there. Oh, yeah, he's at the top of his game. You know, I think even the Preble that rode those 99 winners uh, feels like an eternity ago. Um, it wouldn't be as good as the jockey now. You know, I think with maturity, I think he has, I think he's always had that fire in the belly, but I think, you know, that has been compromised by not getting on the right horses. And then you start to say, well, you know, question yourself. And everyone knows Brett's, you know, success in life outside of, of being a jockey as well. He doesn't have to do it to earn a living. Um, but, you know, I genuinely think that guy is at the top of his game and hopefully this horse, um, you know, is his, you know, once in a, in a, in a career horse that, that um, wins him, you know, one of, at least one of the major races, you know, he's won a Melbourne Cup before. Um, but, um, yeah, I think he's the right man at the right time on the right, right horse. And, you know, it's, it's interesting with regards to him and a mile incentivised because the analogy I drew earlier in the week is, you know, when you get those, because like Steve Jagay said to me, you know, this horse can't, you know, couldn't perform group one at a mile. He said he only really started to lift his rating when he, you know, was running over um, staying trips. And I said to him, but was he improving during the course of the preparation? And there was as much about him going deeper into the preparation as it was about him stepping up in ground. And the analogy I drew is like those three-year-olds that win derbies, you know, in their early starts, parts of their preparation in their first or second preparation, they're getting beaten in maiden races over 1,400 metres and then eventually culminates in in winning a derby. And then you find when they resume the next preparation as four-year-olds, they're often competitive in weight for age group ones over 1,400. So it's actually the horse and the penny drops as the horse um, you know, he, you know, he steps up in, in trip and gets deeper in their preparation. It's not necessarily because the horse wasn't sharp enough um, at that trip early in its career. Some great entrepreneurs have been able to pivot during this pandemic. You've gone from buying some quality horses from overseas like Sir Dragon A to finding incentivize out of the bush in Queensland. Tell us about, um, tell us about that. It's really fortuitous, actually, because I don't really follow Queensland racing particularly closely. And I was actually back in the days when we, we, we could travel during that, that period. And I was in a um, lounge at an airport and I asked them to switch it on to the Sky Channel before I jumped on. Just so, you know, I'm always obsessed with racing and wanting to watch them was on a Saturday. And I just actually, as I switched it on, I just saw the last sort of two, 300 metres of, of that race at Eagle Farm. Um, when he just put a space in them. And I thought, who the hell is this horse? And I just wrote an email to myself, review incentivize. Um, and I had a look at that replay. And what I hadn't realized, obviously, at the time seeing the last furlong is, you know, I assumed the horse must have had the softest lead. And, um, you know, that was, you know, the only way really horses win by that margin. Um, but he actually um, had to rate, make a move mid race on the horse. Um, and it took him some time, Anthony Allen, to actually cross them. And this was probably at the 800 metre mark. Um, and then he, he went and did that in the straight. It was just basically, I, I, I was scratching my head. I hadn't seen something like that, whether it was a maiden or whether it was a group one. I hadn't seen a horse being able to do that amount of work in the run, yet put such a space on his rivals. And I just said to myself, I have to buy this horse. And I was fortunate because, you know, I often look at buying horses and as soon as I see a big ownership group, I don't even bother because it's just too complicated and I don't really have the patience, to be honest, to negotiate with a group. 
And as soon as I saw that it was the breeder owner and trainer being the one person in Steve Tregay, you know, I was fairly confident that I'd be able to get a deal done because I wasn't going to stop in terms of um, my persistence in, in making that deal happen. Um, and Steve, you know, was open-minded about it, albeit sort of shut me down and said, let's wait till the next, the next runs, after the next runs. And I wasn't going to take that risk because I sort of sensed what he might do. Um, so, yeah, I stayed uh, basically at Steve and we got a deal done, obviously, just prior to um, his next start in, in Ipswich. Um, and the rest, they say, is, is history. I rang, funny story, because I rang Moods and I, I haven't got, I had a horse with Moods. Something I just thought he's the right trainer. I wanted a smaller stable. I didn't want a city environment. Um, and I wanted a guy who'd be able to absorb a lot of pressure in terms of the expectations, you know, in going into a spring carnival. And I rang him and I said, there's this horse incentivized. I'm going to buy, try and buy this. I want you to train it. Um, and he had a look at the replays, rang back, said, yeah, it looks like a pretty nice progressive stayer. Um, and let's see what we can do. Um, so, yeah. It was a very, very fateful moment. Um, if the plane had taken off half an hour earlier, who knows? I may never have even know, uh, never even seen the horse run that day, and I would have lost my opportunity. Yeah, well, I don't think you would have missed the replay. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably right, but it's more romantic to pretend yeah. I would have. <laughs> the, the, the air, there's nothing like an airport lounge story. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. He's a, he's a fascinating horse. At start one. Um, you know, if you had have offered a thousand bucks after start one, you probably would have bought him. Yeah. Um, at start three at Toowoomba, uh, he's posted an 84th best of the day, 19.9 <laughs> lengths below IVR benchmark with me. Um, you could have got him for free. <laughs> um, I think you would have had to pay Steve. I think it was a liability at that point. So Steve would have had to pay pay you, I should say. He, you would have. You would have. He would have... Um, you know, he was at that tugboat cliffy level, um, the famous <laughs> Mick Price horse, where yes. he got a dollar for it, we'd get some change. He was at that <laughs> level. Then he's come out um, at Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast and run a best of the day, 1.7 lengths above IVR benchmark. He's had a 21-length turnaround in form. Um, the start prior, he was home his last 200, 81st best of the meeting, 14-13. He's start prior at the Sunshine Coast. He's run a second best of the day, 11.70. Home 23.01, last 400, fastest last 1,000 of the meeting, 59.69. And he's gone on to be undefeated when a group one Maccabi Diva. It's a fascinating story. I mean, have you ever seen a horse with that sort of trajectory um, from a ratings perspective? Me personally. Like that exponential in terms of his improvement from one start to the next and continue to do it you know there's one thing for a horse to step up from one to the next and then they tend to plateau or then they tend to do it more in smaller increments but like for him to just keep on raising the bar so significantly each start and continue obviously on saturday once again i don't i'll be very interested in your numbers um yeah is is phenomenal and in my mind completely unprecedented um in mo in in modern history in the, in, in this industry i i can't recall it's an interesting question i'll come back to you um on has there ever been anything to improve this far mm. um definitely i can't recall anything near it and Normally with these horses, there's a clue there. There's something that you go back on and say, okay, there it was. Um, yeah. But with him off starts one, two, and three, there was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing. He can't record and, a, a section within the top 35 on the day yeah. in any section of the race. He can't handle pressure. He can't sprint off no speed. He can't sustain any speed early. He actually can't do anything. Yeah. And Steve uh, will tell you, there wasn't... Uh... You know, twinkle in Steve's eyes. Steve wasn't seeing something at home that we were weren't seeing come race day. Um, he just said Steve seemed like a big, gawky, slow maturing horse that may never win a race. It reminds me of the it reminds me of the Farlap movie where it took a few runs and they thought, Oh, we've got an absolute donkey here. What have we done? We've wasted our money. And then all of a sudden, Farlap just uh he found his own and he went on to create history, didn't he? 
Well, it's not beyond the realms, you know, like, you know, you talk about that, but it's not beyond the realms. That horse could have been retired and, and not raced again. You know, if he would have had a more ruthless owner um, and someone without Steve's patience and endurance, um, you know, that horse may never have, have seen a second preparation. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. For sure. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that an incredible, isn't that something that's incredible to ponder? Yeah. Now, what's, what's, what's his prep look like, Bray? And are we going to see your great mare very elegant clash with him potentially in a Turnbull? Yeah, unfortunately, um, that may well be the case. Um, very different ownership groups. Um, and, you know, you've got to do what's right for each horse independently. Um, so you can't ever pollute your thinking in terms of, oh, well, I've got my bases loaded with him in the Turnbull. Let's take her, keep her up in Sydney for the hill. Um, so we'll do what's best for her and Chris will make that decision. Um, so... We'll see what happens firstly next Saturday with the George Main and wait for the dust to settle and then make a call as to whether she goes south or stays in Sydney for the Hill, which obviously has increased prize money this year, but still is a group two race. And interestingly, like Chris does have a philosophy. We don't care about, you know, as an ownership group with her, it's not about the prize money, mm. you know. So like we obviously, don't, you know, prefer her to run in group ones. And Chris is sort of of, of the mind as well that, that she's that good she only deserves to race in group ones so that will influence his decision making on the flip side um it's a set weights and penalty race the turnbull um and the condition is you get the maximum weight you can carry at weight for age if you won two group ones or more um so she obviously won six in the previous season so she'll carry 57 um which is effectively weight for age last year she carried 54 and she had that big advantage or 55 maybe she had that big advantage um, so she'll be giving weight to incentivize is the bottom line. And she'll be giving weight to some other good male horses she'd otherwise be um, getting a concession from. So the conditions of that race don't really favour her this year. But Chris is, you know, a um, very much a pattern guy and yeah. he has always traditionally bought those horses down for a run in Melbourne prior to their grand final. So I think still the likelihood is she'll race there and, the, the race is very much set in stone with incentive. Um, incentivized was the program we mapped out originally and there's no reason to change tact. It's perfect. It's three weeks. You know, I'd hate it to be a fortnight. I think that extra week is really ideal. Up to a mile and a quarter, like I said, he'll get in really well at the weights and then a fortnight to the Caulfield Cup. So our program's brilliantly and he'll definitely be there, um, you know, barring any dramas. And the Dragon? He, I've got an interesting question, um, whether he goes to the Turnbull or whether he goes to a, um, a Caulfield Stakes. Or, oh, right. I don't think an Underwood. I think the Underwood will be too close. There's no, yeah. He won't race in um, a fortnight. Yeah. So the Underwood will be off the table. And I don't think he'd want to back him up. So I probably can't see an alternative, but for him to be in the Turnbull as well. Um, and geez, on that performance on Saturday, he's going to be formidable competition. Um, and I don't know if he's been to Flemington, has he? That was his first start there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I really obviously appreciated that big open expanse. It was written brilliantly by Ben Thompson, incidentally. No one could have handled that horse better on the day. Um, so uh, he's, you know, I must admit, you know, he wasn't in my mind, you know, in the top five chances in the Cox Plate, um, but he's well and truly put himself, uh, made a big statement uh, that he's in the race up to his ears again this year and that was on firm ground as well it's a phenomenal performance i mean what's your what are your ratings say about the race i'd be fascinated hayden and how was his performance the high the highest rated performance in the race so dragon a yeah so dragon a was um simply electric he showed something that he hadn't shown um since his time in australia which was He's a horse who does possess electric straight line speed. He was fastest last 400 of the day, 2230. Um, the, the reason that that horse got beat um, was he just must have felt phenomenal between the four and the two. Uh, he's gone 1086 split between the four and the 200, mm. which was race fastest and substantial race fastest. He yep. probably overexerted through that section. Um, he's probably gone somewhere between a it's we're talking minuscule here. It's probably between half a length um, to a length maximum too fast for himself in that section, which gives you the um, thought process on the line that Mwanga is actually kicking back from underneath him. 
where he's simply uh, conditioned. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's conditioned. Even though he still was increasing his speed over the last 200, he was building through that run. Yeah, right. So, And, you know, what? he obviously was first up. So, you know, in terms of his ability to sustain those sectionals, um, you know, that would be compromised by the fact he wasn't, like, completely screwed down. Um, you know, whereas obviously Mwanga's had had that um, first up run over 1,400 and um, that fitness edge as well, which I think would have been a factor. Yeah, for sure. He was, um, you know, for him, he hasn't shown that. It's the first time he's really been on good, clean ground with a fantastic straight line run. So we've mm. seen something from him that we haven't seen um, prior from his time in um, Australia. Yeah. He had, his OS profile gave some indications that he had some big speed, but the majority of his damage got done through the mid-race. He was a horse that could get to a very powerful level through the mid and sustain it late. That's the recipe you'd need to win a race like a Cox Plate. Mm. Um, he gave the indication he could handle the big squeeze once again at Randwick, over 2,000 metres. Gave there, there was some straight-line speed there, but nothing like on the weekend. Um, you know, he's in... There's nothing to suggest that he's not in career best order and he can't go and press that five lengths above IVR benchmark from the Cox Plate last year. Great to hear. What's it like having horses with Kieran Ma, Peter Moody and Chris Waller? How do they differ? <laughs> well, you know what? Like, Chris is like, Chris is like at one end of the spectrum in terms of like, Chris is just a, the ultimate pragmatist professional it's all you know it is business with Chris um and you know he's much he's a more um uh analytical uh trainer um whereas you know I think at the like the other end of the spectrum Kieran's like you know the ultimate sort of natural horseman intuitive instinctive um feels you know you know get gets it uses a lot of his instinct in terms of the way he trains horses and then I would suggest Moody's probably first, certainly closer to Kieran in that regard. Um, but, um, you know, if there's a spectrum, you know, he would be somewhere somewhere in the middle. You know, my experience with Pete's obviously only a couple of months. So, you know, I've, had, I've been racing horses with Kieran for years. And obviously, you know, Chris, um, Chris and I have a, an incredibly close relationship. Um, and I know, know how he, he operates in his in machinations intimately. Um, so yeah, you know, Pete's like immediately struck me as just a brilliant horseman. Um, and he's just got like this natural confidence in himself, Pete, um, which is infectious. Um, and, uh, he's just from the moment he's got this horse, you know, he hasn't been second guessing himself. You know, he's been using Steve Trigaya, um, wisely in terms of, you know, understanding the horse and his idiosyncrasies, but at the same time, still sort of asserting himself as a trainer of the horse and doing what he would otherwise do rather than trying to adapt um, potentially to, to Steve's um, training uh, methods. Um, so, you know, all three of them are exceptional trainers in their own right and it's a privilege to be able to own horses with them, to be frank. You got another nice horse. I'm pretty sure the Chelmsford is this week. I probably should have had a, had a good look, but Il Paradiso, do we see him in a Chelmsford? No, unfortunately, El Paradiso uh, broke down again. Right. Uh, so he was originally um, slated to, to return in the Chelmsford and very um, uh, disappointing news because, you know, Chris thought the horse was just in fantastic order, even with all the problems that he's had since um, that 19 Melbourne Cup. Um, and we had really high expectations that he could com be competitive in the race this year. Um, but, you know... It's now two years, basically, since we've seen him. Um, this injury, I think, may take him, best-case scenario, through to the spring of 2022. Um, and we'll try our best, but, you know, in reality, we've got, we've got to acknowledge um, that we may never see that horse back at the races again. It'd be a real shame, Hayden. I think we were both on him that day in the, in the 2019 Cup. That was... Um, that, that is for sure. He... He had the ideal when it comes to structure and what you need, key criteria-wise, for an overseas horse to come here and win a Melbourne Cup. He had it. He had the real special attributes that we look for. 
um, when analysing the internationals, a lot of them come over. We've discussed it many times on here that they are very dour, they're continuous one speed style of horses. This horse was simply electric. Um, he went, he travelled in the Melbourne Cup, I think going back to 2013, 2014 era, he travelled one of the slowest first sections in a Melbourne Cup in recent history. His exertion through the mid race was 25 and a half lengths, which is, you know, you're talking a four and a half, five second squeeze through the mid, which would just bust up the majority of horses, not only in this country, in the world. Um, took his mid race pace to plus two. The next thing with him is he's the fastest horse home in the last 10 years in a Melbourne Cup with a plus 8.6 combined 400. Um, last 400, yeah. 22.53. Last 200, 11.45. Um, he was the second fastest last 200 of the meeting over 3,200. Uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. And, um, you know, I guess yeah. oh, I'd rather not hear those statistics because it <laughs> uh, makes it even harder to, to stomach. Um, Damien, just just looking at my battery, I've actually got one percent. I might trip, I might just flip to my phone. No, that's all right. I'll um, um before chat I... to Hayden about a couple of the other races on the weekend. We'll dissect them and we'll get you back just uh, with the same code. Okay, I'll just uh, I'll be I'll be fairly quick. I'm just going to go back in. Uh, Keen to ask you, Hayden, about Animo. Can you have a quick look at that race in Sydney? Um, you know, obviously a lot of talk that he's the best three-year-old in the land. Um, a couple of these horses are going to be heading to the Golden Rose soon. Um, and it seemed like Remark was a little bit underwhelming. I had a good look at the race. I visually looked at it. I went over the analytics, analytical side of it. Um, these horses, they went out at a pretty cruisy little, uh, they went out at a pretty cruisy tempo it, in the Congo did some work, but the two big guns there that we thought, Animo and Remark, um, 1.3 and 1.5 lengths below benchmark first section, didn't really do much through the mid. There was only a slight two-length squeeze there, which is, you know, extremely comfortable for these two. Mm. Um, and then just a little 400-metre square at home. Animo, clearly the better of the two. Um, you know, it's, it just felt like watching it, the Remark let him go around the corner. I'd put Remark down to a flatline run. His, his double exertion the start prior was, you know, probably too, it was excessive for him. Both mm. the squeeze between the six and the four and the powerful move late after he ran up the bum sandwich um, to sprint. The double exertions probably flattened him leading into this. He'll bounce off that. And I don't really think that McDonald, uh, McDonald had to get very aggressive on Animo. He felt like he had Remark where he wanted him and had the leaders covered a long way from home. So, you know, fifth and a fifth best of the perform fifth best of the day performance overall for Animo. He's only done what he needed to. He looked half a run short off an electric trial leading up. Um, and remarks a flatline run. I think both cautious also on the um, the Kembla track. A lot of these horses, you know, and riders and sables are a little bit held withdrawn and held back and you know, if things don't go their way, they're happy just to get past that and get over it till we get back to the good city surfaces. But nothing from either one to say they're not going to explode in the Golden Rose. All right. And have you got them ahead of Artorius, who was beaten by Mr. Mozart um, on the weekend with Halal, and he's exceptional running third and fourth? Yes. Um, I... I'd love to um, be a fly on the wall and ask some questions in the inner sanctum when um, the battle plans for that horse are discussed moving forward. Again, I, I can't remember whether I said it on any of the preview shows or reviews from um, leading up, but to me, he's looking like he's very culty. He wants to get his mouth up and down. Um, he's playing games as far as I'm concerned. He did nothing. He had a bludge first section, 7.3 legs below. Very little shift in, um, in the second section there, 5.2 legs below, giving him some allocation for the wind, et cetera. He's come home, you know, he's pretty powerful between basically the six to the two, um, but only maintained that speed. Late, he was 12th fastest of the day overall, but he's been entitled to, he's had a bit of a bludge, and I thought he had them cold at the 400. Uh, and I think the rider did too. 
there, to me, there's a slight question mark on him, A, at 1,400, B, a massive question mark on him at 1,600. And again, he just wants to put these little flat spots in between the eight, six, six and the four. Um, might come back to haunt him, but he's an interesting horse moving forward. So one word, Artorias, are you heading towards a Coolmore or a Guineas? Artorias for mine, I'm 100% freshening up and taking him back towards a Coolmore. But I, honestly, um, I know we've taken on a couple. I don't think he's any hope in either at All this right. point. Welcome back, Bray. You had a Thank horse you. overseas called Sir Lucan. Tell us about him. Is he coming to Australia? Well, actually, you're going to have to talk to Oz about that. So I'm not in that one. I'm uh, putting all my eggs in the incentivised basket in, right. and very elegant, of course, in the cups. Um, so I know he is um, very excited by him, um, but the horse, you know, likely still needs to um, still needs to pass the ballot. Um, and probably win uh, one of the um, the ballot free races in the lead up, um, but you know I think if he gets in, um, he's uh, he's definitely one of the leading chances. All right, so you're in a number of horses with um, Aussie. Does do you feel like each time you guys go into a horse, you have to offer it up to the other one, or hundred percent? You, you offer it up, incentivize it all, or yeah, of course. So like. Um, you know, I actually consider Aussie my partnership in race my partner in racehorse ownership. Um, we just got a fantastic relationship. He's a terrific guy. He focuses more on the internationals um, and is a real form student of European racing. Um, I focus on buying the yearlings um, and also obviously acquiring um, domestic talent. Um, and with incentivize, you know, Aussie doesn't follow certainly doesn't follow Queensland racing. Um, and I basically rang him and said, "Don't." really worry too much but if I get this horse you're coming in for a leg and you know he just has a um, blind faith in me um, and uh, said all right I'm in I'll back your brother and uh, yeah it's fantastic to have him involved in in the horse because the thing about racehorse ownership is legitimately it's so much more fulfilling and enjoyable when you're racing with people that you know and love um, than either strangers or, or or on your own um so you know it's it makes it a lot more special when you've got someone of aussie's um caliber and character um in the journey with you and um you know obviously when you get a horse like this you know you bring along all your family and friends in any case but it's still nice to have his name in the ownership register alongside mine i had a question from dean watling on twitter um Owning shares in a racehorse is a privilege, not a business. Have you turned it into a business or is it really your, um, uh, your escape from, you know, the work that, you know, your full-time gig? Couldn't think of it less along the lines of business. You know, like I spend my, you know, my working week, you know, assessing things from a uh, commercial perspective, you know, measuring um, risk and return. Um, and the last thing I'd want is, you know, something that's my passion to turn into something I'm looking through that same commercial lens. It would just um, uh, dilute all the, the fun of participating in racehorse ownership. So I, obviously you need to make commercially prudent decisions. You know, you don't want to be losing money hand over fist and doing things that are, um, you know, that are um, uh, like, stupid or silly you know you know so you still need to be you know thinking with your head not always your heart but by the same token I love the fact that uh, you know it's not about the dollars and cents for me and the reason I'm in ownership is there's nothing to do with making money it's everything to do with being successful and um, hopefully achieving great things and also influencing influencing it yeah you know I'm not the sort of owner that just sits by idly and just hands over responsibility to, to train as once I acquire horses. To me, what I love is being able to back my judgment in, in racing the same way I back my judgment in business um, and have an opinion and collaborate with the trainers um, and have influence. Because um, to me, that's what, you know, that creates the fulfilment in the, the sense that you've been part of that horse's success that had it not been for you, the horse may not have had this, you know, had achieved what the horse achieved or may have had a very different um, CV um, and having that influence. And sometimes obviously you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong, but at least being able to stick my neck out and, um, 
and and do something to make a difference is to me probably the best thing about resource ownership and you know yes 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 is a really good example um you know i genuinely believe had i not been so hell-bent on getting that horse into the everest it never would have run i was gonna ask about him you've won a caulfield cup and a cox plate and you're on the melbourne cup journey with incentivized but i think from hayden's point of view the best horse from an ivr figure you've ever owned was yes 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 was he a yearling purchase for you or yep he was yeah i bought him uh with um with weary um and uh that's that was only the second year that I'm sort of seriously buying yearlings, and like I don't profess to have any le- any decent level of understanding in terms of buying a horse on constitution and type. You know, I know my weaknesses, so I left that responsibility weary and John Foot. But I, you know, I do have my theories on pedigrees and what I look for, um, and um, you know, he fit that mould, um, and I was so bloody lucky to buy a horse of his ilk. Um, and I have to agree with Hayden. Like the, the thing, I, I'm still gutted and think about it all the time. The fact we never saw that horse resume in the order because like he had made significant improvement um, from the spring. We put him in cotton wool after the Everest didn't um, yield to the temptation of, of running him in the Cornwall. And he was just ready to explode in that lightning stakes. Um, but as history would have it, or as, as, as fate would have it, I should say, um, unfortunately he, um, he injured himself um, and, you know, given he was going to miss the autumn, um, that was it. He went straight to uh, to greener pastures. What, um, in the world, in terms of sprint races, what sprint race would you like to win? The Everest, in my mind, is the number one sprint race globally. Um, and I think the ratings that have come out of that um, race um, year in, year out since, you know, the four years since its inception, reflect that it probably is considered now, you know, the um, preeminent sprint race on the calendar. Um, but, you know, definitely winning a race at Royal Ascot down that straight, you know, a kidding stand or a diamond jubilee would be absolutely incredible. Um, once again, that was on yes, yes, yes's agenda. Um, and we never had the opportunity. So I would love to have a horse good enough um, to, um, to take, to the Northern Hemisphere and compete on the, the world stage because you're not going to do it, you know, in, a, in the staying races, um, you know, if you've got to be realistic. Um, so you, you need a sprinter. Um, albeit, you know, you guys would be aware we sort of had that as a potential option for Very Elegant. Um, but um, you'd need, you know, a, you know probably a, a, a horse of the calibre of mind power, to a domestic horse. You'd have to go all the way back to him probably for an example of a horse that would be good enough to actually take over there and compete with those European stays in their own backyard. Yeah. Well, uh, when it comes to this horse, you can um, think of whichever one of those races you would have liked to have won. And if you had have taken him, you would have. Don't say that, mate. <laughs> that makes me feel even worse than uh, than what you told me about Il Paradiso. No, when you um, when you're looking for horses to take overseas, particularly over to England, um, and run up that hill, multiple hills in a straight line. Um, there's certain criteria you need in order to um, achieve that. One of them is straight line speed. You need phenomenal straight line speed. You need to be able to handle two sections of pressure off a good early speed. Um, and his performance in the Everest, he's travelled 1.3 lengths below benchmark between in uh, to, in the first section. His mid-race squeeze of nine lengths took him to 7.7 lengths above benchmark through the mid, and he's had the audacity to not only sustain that, but slightly increase over the last 400 home plus eight um, for a combined... And overall, best of the day, 8.5 lengths above IVR benchmark and a horse who we didn't see the bottom of. We had him firmly marked as um, no ceiling whatsoever. Um, He was pushing already within the two lengths of a horse like Chautauqua, who I, since I've been in sexual times and benchmarking as such, I've stamped him firmly as the second best sprinter that I've seen in my time behind Black Caviar. Uh, he had every single weapon you could possibly need to do that. He was faster than Chautauqua. So Chautauqua's brilliant um, finish was one thing, but this horse straight line was faster than him. And one thing that not many of these sprinters do, but he did, um, he produced an 8.2 length combined last 400 
when he won his first two-year-old race at Randwick over 1,200 metres. Two-year-olds simply don't do that. He was a rock star. Yep. And uh, it is an absolute travesty that we never saw him return. And uh, like I said, he was going to do something frightening in the in the lightning stakes, but now it's all down to conjecture as to where he may have got to. But hopefully, I can um, achieve uh, that uh, dream of of winning a major sprint race in the Northern Hemisphere with one of his progeny. Well, that, that was going to be fantastic. That was going to be my last question, mate. Tell us how the breeding game's going, and I assume you've uh, so do you own own a, you know, a handful or a stack of mares and I assume you're uh, sending a few to him. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got about 10 mares. Um, so not a huge volume. Um, and like, I'm just feeling my way in the breeding game. I'm still uh, very much a novice, um, but you know, I've still retained a really good stake in him as a stallion. I'm sending uh, four mares to him um, this season. Um, the early, you know, the early um, feedback on his foals, is incredibly positive. Uh, the Cornwall guys love them. He's been really well received um, and he's going to have absolutely every chance of, um, of proving himself um, an elite stallion. Um, and like there's, I don't think there's anything more exciting as a, as an owner than, you know, buying a, a yearling, um, you know, naming it, having a race in your colors and winning a major race. And then, you know, for, prospectively the next you know 15 years being able to watch their progeny you know you're getting a sight every time uh, um you know a yes 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 cold or philly steps out um so i can't wait for that next chapter when they first start hitting the racetrack towards the end of next year i have to ask one tough question to finish um how do you deal with all the tall poppies out there mate, because I know you, um, we've dealt with each other for a long time. Every time I've seen you in the mounting yard at Flemington or Caulfield, you've always said, g'day, you always call me back. Um, I think you're a ripping fella and I love Thanks, mate. that guys um, like you are investing in racing. There's probably so many other things you could invest in, but how do you deal with uh, with the tall poppies out there? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, it's... Um, Unfortunately, it's part of the fabric, particularly of Australian culture. Um, people are always trying to bring down other people that are successful. And whether that's in, you know, the um, business world or whether it's in the, the sporting arena, um, you have to accept that's going to be part and parcel of being successful. I think the most important thing is to um, believe in yourself and who you are um, and accept that the people that are criticising you, it's not about you and it's not a reflection on you, it's a reflection on them. Um, and, you know, one thing, like one saying that I always sort of tell young people or people looking for mentoring from me, um, to, to power, paraphrase um, Roosevelt, who said, um, far better to have dared and failed um, than to take your place amongst those cold and timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat. And the keyboard warriors are cold and timid souls. So don't let them get to you. Stay true to yourself and never, ever let success change who you are because a huge part of success is luck. Um, so don't let it get to your head. You've been very generous with your time, mate, on a Sunday night. I think that speaks volumes. Um, good luck. Hopefully the next gen is out there watching this have uh, seen another side of Bray and... Um, certainly there's a number of people falling in love with incentivize, if not after Queensland, after the weekend, mate. So all the best with his prep. Thank you so much, Damien and uh, Hayden. And uh, it's been a pleasure coming on. See you at the track soon, hopefully, mate. Love to. Catch you, buddy. Cheers. You can Thanks, sign mate. off. Hayden and I will just review the, um, uh, we'll wrap up the, uh, the, other races in the last 10 minutes of this show. So bottom left corner, you can hit end Bray. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Um, Hayden, let's have a look at a couple of the other races. Harbour Views and Cherry Tortoni knocked off Ayrton. That was a bit of a boil over. It was. Um, it was a funny race. And to many people's surprise, um, you know, the horse that many had stamped as one of the better bets, if not the best bet on the program, the one who was expected to win, um, he went down. He went down swinging. He didn't. Uh, he was... He was hard to assess. 
three wide, no cover, yeah, understand. Wasn't it bigger disadvantages um, what it typically is with you did get some cover from that cross breeze. So, you know, horses who were away from the rail had some slight advantage as such. Cherry taught Tony home fastest last thousand, fastest last 1200 of the meeting. Harbour Views has gone right to, you know, trending towards his best off nearly a year's break. Ayrton. Flat or? Yeah, possibly flat. The energy exertion from Caulfield was explosive, uh, particularly through the last 400. He, second up last campaign, he went well. Um, but when the fight was on, he didn't really want to get that involved behind Apache Chase at Eagle Farm um, when he was there to bury that particular runner. And then he short break and he come back and he thrived. So, you know, he, we might get black figures or better about him next start. Um, I'm certainly not dismissive of him. Um, you know, even little things like drifting in late under pressure, um, the boys out wide, Cherry Tortoni, Harbour View, sustaining the lanes in the run where he went back in towards the neutral ground. You know, there's a chance that that cost him victory, um, you know, but I'd be forgetful and forgiving of his performance. He's too good a horse. What if his next start is in an Epsom where you've generally got to go sort of plus six to be winning a big mile handicap like that? Uh, he's all... He's got the profile that says, yeah, and Epsom is well within his um, ability. Mm. He only needs to run a PB, you know, in that one to one and a half sort of range to be deep, deep in the finish. And even going back off the last couple of mile handicaps that we've had, you haven't needed to have gone to that level. You've only needed to have gone to where he's been to in order to um, go very close, if not win. So the expectation of a plus six, there just isn't too many plus six style milers around at the moment. Um, you get the opportunity to do it through the energy exertion, through the first section um, to produce those big numbers. So typically the better horses come to the fore and run PBs in those races anyway. But I wouldn't be dismissive of him. Um, just in the back of my mind, I've got, um, you know, I can't really recall many Victorian horses winning Epsom. So um, it's not something that's been on our trainers' radars, and they haven't been very successful. It's typically a race I go looking for a Kiwi. Um, if there's one there, or if we've got a monster miler of our own, um, it's not. It's normally a pretty good race to uh, a bet in and b collect in. Yeah. All right. The best performances, best two performances of the day at Flemington were in the uh, Bobby Lewis Splintex. Well, we've we've always had an opinion of this horse, but we can I can never catch him. I don't think we mentioned him on the show on the weekend, but he's um he's run close to his best, probably a length a length uh, up his sleeve, but nice performance and away game. The mare, she's run really well as well. Yeah, very both good performances. Um, come down a different section of the track than basically anyone else all day did. The other straight races trended back towards that inside. Um, this one split it split in half and they had to go down the middle. So, you know, when it comes to sectional timing, et cetera, hard to access. They've had, um, they've definitely had some advantage from out there. Thought the astrologist was brave. Um, you can put the big circle around Zutori wherever he goes next. He's dead set, ready to win. Um, I was taken by his return. Just thought he blew out late, but there was a couple of signs there that I really look for in a horse and he showed them. So I'm prepared to, um, I'll be keen to see where he goes and what he does. Um, Jonka was completely disadvantaged by everything in terms of race, race shape, uh, position in run, section of the track. So just completely forget that he went around. He was brave. Um, you can't really take much away from first three across the line, but if they are, trend, uh, they, they are trekking towards a big group one, I think they'll get exposed. All right. And I think a couple of the other horses in form, uh, Turidan and Tarath, both just repeat, um, rinse and repeat what they've been doing um, recently. They didn't have to uh, go to a new level to, to win. The others um, haven't caught up to them. Let's have one look at Kembla Grange because the best performance of the day there was a Kiwi that you mentioned on our show a few weeks ago. 
Um, she got scratched, went to a trial. Um, and during the week, we we're getting three bucks for her. I'm talking about on Triviere. And um, she hasn't gone anywhere near her best and still too good. Yeah, it was um, fascinating that they let us actually bet on a barrier trial. That was um, very kind of everybody. A squeeze through the mid-race excellent, sustained speed last 800. Um, I can't remember whether it was just a personal conversation between the two of us or I let it spill on air that I thought she might have been a bit of a monster. Yeah, um, no, we mentioned it on the show, but she got scratched. Okay, so, yeah, it's definitely a horse... Um, you know, from a statistical point of view, last four, last two won't be in the top 10. Um, won't be in the top 10 for the day. Or the last 400 will be somewhere around that 10th fastest um, last 400. Last, last 200, 13th best of the day overall. So they can sneak away on people um, slightly, those who look for the big finishes in order of horses to follow. Her mid-race was just um, booming, third fastest last 1,000. Third fastest late, last 800, big box ticket for mine. She Isn't it going to be nice to see her get to one of the big Metro City tracks? She's going to be um, fascinating to watch. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're careful not to um, highlight the horse that has that booming finish, but I think Fatuse was huge and certainly want to be following her wherever she goes next. Fatuse's problem is Fatuse has a ceiling. So Fatuse's issue is going to be getting through it. Um, her mid-race was good. She sustained her speed late. Definitely no knocks on her performance, but if she gets up in um, in and around those bigger and better mares, she's got problems if we require a certain level to be winning. Yep. All right. Were there any other black bookers you want to mention from the weekend? Um, one thing that I would take out of the weekend is um, Damien Lane, you know, it's not... Um, it's no secret that I've got a little bit of a love affair with Damien Lane and love backing him when he's on horses that I like. That ride on Turidan should be shown in every single apprentice's um, forum in Australia. That is how you ride a leader. Um, only Damien, Tim Clark, possibly Jai McNeil and Nashra Willer. They're probably the four guys who have the ability to do that on a front runner. Yeah, um, that is just blatantly refusing to give up your advantage and taking him to a dangerous level in terms of pace. Um, there's a very fine line between that horse going half to three quarters of a length too fast, and then it's curtains for him from a long way out. He that was just a dominant, brutal front running ride. So excellent, and then he comes out. Three, four, five races later, might have even been deeper. It might have been six, five races later on Turath, on the mare who's hard to knock. This mare, she's in career best order, and I was really taken by her performance. This, once again, knew the position in the track that he needed to be in, didn't overcompensate for the headwind, um, had extreme faith in his own riding ability and in the horse underneath him to play a very daring tactic. Um, come out wide, took on the breeze, let his horse flow instead of altering its momentum. And this guy's, um, you know, he, there's only two riders who could have made it in Japan at the time. It was himself and Hugh Bowman there because you just need to be elite judges of speed and understand how to push horses to their absolute max without breaking them. That's what he understands. That's why he won the Cox Plate on Le Grishu and that's why the guy is a superstar. And not a bad little run from Mystic Journey. Excellent return. Um, her trials leading in were rubbish. She looked like she was well and truly finished. Um, she enjoyed this race pace. She enjoyed the speed. She enjoyed that she didn't have to do anything excessive through the mid and could just go through the gears. Her last 400 was excellent. There was a conditioning blowout. Last 200 says there's improvement there. Yeah, she's not looking for the top tier races, so don't get fascinated about her going forward into the A grade stuff. But if there's B and C grade stuff that she can pinch along the way, look out. What about like an Empire Rose? Well, to me, their race names and who goes there. Mm. So it depends if you're gonna if you're gonna have to run three and a half four to win, she might struggle. Um, if she gets the second tier and we need a two to win and. One yep. thing we're really looking for is going to be some good straight line speed late. That's right up her alley at the moment. All right, mate. 
I think that's a wrap. Good luck to yourself and Ebony tomorrow, mate, or early next week. Um, early tomorrow, mate. We're booked in. 6.30 tomorrow morning we'll be um, on site. Um, and it's game on from there. So one, oh, before we go, I'll just tell you one thing. With that chat with Bray, that's the first time I've ever spoken to Bray. I've been fascinated by his journey and his horses along the way. Um, and what a gentleman to speak to. I find it fascinating as an owner and yourself as an owner that I could sit there and assess the runners that I had coming up into a spring carnival. And last year's Cox Plate winner not only didn't have any eggs, it didn't even have a basket. To me, that was fascinating that you had two horses where last year's Cox Plate winner doesn't get a mention. Yeah, very, very briefly. So, um, yeah, he's got a uh, he's got a nice nice cattle of horses, but I think if um, if we were as well placed as he was, I think we'd be as passionate about um, horse ownership as as um, as he. So, um, yeah, I wish him nothing but luck. I think he's a ripping fella, and yes, I might um, be a little bit biased, but um, uh, yeah, I think he's a great fella. I'm uh, perfectly agreeing, and um, people in Bray's position, good luck. He deserves all the luck in the world. And if he keeps buying horses of this caliber, um, he's going to have that. Yes, and we get to enjoy them, like incentivized. Mate, all the best. Good luck tomorrow. And um, uh, I'll chat to you during the week. Hopefully by uh, by Friday, you might be ready for a um, another big form preview and we can get another big gun on the show. We'll be ready to go, mate. Thank you. Catch you, buddy. See ya. Bye.